I guess it just comes back to the thing that I like things explained to me more, right? Hello and welcome to another episode of Geek Chew, where we chew over the geeky things we love, mostly comic books, books, TV, and movies. This week we're talking about Swamp Thing, the Winter Special, Cloverfield Paradox, and a little bit of Altered Carbon, both on Netflix, and Black Panther. Especially Black Panther. Especially Black Panther, which we saw two nights ago and was awesome. (laughs) So, uh, we have a couple things coming up this week, a couple movies. We're going to go see a French New Wave film. Cleo from 5 to 7. And Annihilation. We have, what are they called? Just special preview tickets. You get to uh, see it like a night before it actually comes out. It's like um, a victory screening mm-hmm. preview. It's something. pretty exciting. It yeah. looks pretty awesome. Heard really good things about it so far. But before we get into like... Our main fair, I guess, there's some new trailers that came out in the past week or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of which was uh, the first trailer for the second Deadpool movie, which looks pretty good. That I mean, was a real fun trailer. It was. Yeah. And I guess, I mean, I don't know if there was any real concern, but, you know, the original, or the director from the first one, Tim Miller, is not directing the second one. It's David Leach, the guy who worked on John Wick and directed Atomic Blonde. Mm-hmm. I mean... A trailer's a trailer, but if you're going to look at the trailer and say, um, or for evidence that the humor has changed, it certainly doesn't seem like it did because it was a pretty meta trailer. Right. Very self-aware. Really, really yeah. funny. Had the green screen cable arm and jumped into Deadpool, like playing, playing with, with toys. Playing action figures. Yeah. yeah. It was really good. And it looks, uh, looks fantastic. Of course it does. When does that come out again? October. So not super close, but. But not that far either. Not that far either. And what else came out? Uh, the Venom trailer, the first kind of teaser trailer dropped, which was cool. I mean, it was good. It was pretty short, minute and a half. Didn't show Venom at all, which is a choice. You know, that some people, I don't know, I got the impression some people weren't happy with, but you kind of, you want to like, at least if you're going to put a teaser trailer out, you want to at least tease what Venom looks like. But. I guess. It looks uh, looks pretty promising. The cast looks like a cast that would not be in a movie that was no good, right? It's got Tom Hardy, right. Michelle Williams, Riz Ahmed, uh, Jenny Slate, Woody Harrelson, rumored Tom Holland. So we'll see if Spider-Man shows up, which would be pretty awesome. But it... Uh, I, I mean, I, I don't understand how you can have a Venom movie without at least having something spider-man yeah, in it it doesn't really make any sense at all so you you would imagine that right he'll be there the director was is or is reuben fleischer who did zombie land he doesn't have like a lot of stuff in his imdb as far as i could see but i like zombie land yeah who it's great it's fantastic yeah. and then uh one more trailer that came out this week which is a big deal for us was the incredibles 2 which which i have not seen that yet 
you played it when I wasn't home, and then I keep forgetting to go back and watch it. Mm. Yeah, we watched it together last night too. But we did. We did. <laughs> it was Elastigirl. She's you oh, know yeah. doing her thing. Okay, and you're right. I don't Bob, know why. Bob's at home taking care of the kids, and it's really it's it looks like another Incredibles movie, which is exciting. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Jake was very excited to watch that trailer. Just kind of big smile plastered on his face while it was playing on the TV. So arguably the Incredibles is the best superhero movie of all time. That is what people frequently say. You do not agree. Well, um, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) There's so many now that it's, uh, it's hard to rank it against some of how, what do you mean? How, how How is is it hard? hard? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, we're going to talk about black Panther later, and it's hard for me to even rank that against some of the other movies. I mean, they're just, there's a lot of good ones out there. You know, I, Black Panther is definitely near the top for me as far as MCU movies go. Uh, but it's hard to even really, you know, after thinking about it for a couple of days, it's hard to arrange those movies in order. But just because they're all so good. Yeah. So th- that's all. You've been recently catching up on a lot of comic books, and I have listed here five reasons that, bl- <laughs> that Black Hammer is the next comic book that you should catch up on. Okay. I mean, should I go through them, or are you just going to do it? Because I said you should do it. <laughs> uh, well, I guess we should go back through and, and find them all, because they're all stored away in long boxes right now, right? Yeah. And I only read issue number one. You read issue one, and you were not... Uh, excited about it which is fine but it does i mean it's a really good series first of all jeff lemire prolific and most of the stuff that we have read of his we liked correct after death descender he did a really one of the first things that i read of his was his green arrow run which i don't read a lot of green arrow comic books but i really like that mm-hmm. and i think he has a new series coming out with image I should have looked this up, but I think it's the same artist who worked with him on Green Arrow. And I'm just basing that off of what I saw with my eyeballs and not an actual name. (laughs) But Gideon Falls is coming out from Image. It looks really good. But also really good, Black Hammer. (laughs) But it's also, it's, you know, we just talked last episode, I think, about how much you like mysteries. It's got a good mystery to it. Like what happened and who's responsible for what happened and why these superheroes are trapped here and the the universe that he builds is just really cool. That's number three. Mm-hmm. Lots of original heroes and storylines and all this backstory. And, you know, the other thing that I had here was the, the two offshoots that so far, the Sherlock Frankenstein and the Legion of Evil was a four-issue miniseries, which follows Lucy Weber, the Black Hammer's daughter, trying to find out what happened to those heroes. Okay. And it was quite good. And there's another one coming out, Dr. Star in the Kingdom of Lost Tomorrows, which also looks very good. Max Fiumara is doing the art and it uh, follows the story of another crime fighter and his relationship to his son who wants to take his mantle and all that stuff. So please read Black Camera next. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, did you have anything before we get into uh, the big stuff? Um, I know you're very excited about uh, Bachelor Winter Games. I am very excited 
I don't know why. I mean, I stopped watching The Bachelor for so long and then had like one conversation with someone once about it and like got sucked back into this universe. I just think it's hilarious. This season's been bad though. Like the actual Bachelor season. You don't know. You haven't even been watching it. I have followed the clippings, I guess. (laughs) That's what you would say. And also the one other person I talked to Bachelor about says that she thinks it's no good. So, Well, whatever. The point is, I really like the offshoots more anyway. So Bachelor in Paradise and the new Bachelor Winter Games, which... When you were texting me about it, you were so excited that I was like, God, I wish she hadn't watched it without me now (laughs) because this sounds like it's pretty good. Uh, It's just really fun. Very self-aware of like its own Bachelor universiness, which is pretty funny. Um, But it's still got all of the like stupid drama um, mixed in with people falling on their faces in the snow. I mean, I don't know how you could go wrong. (laughs) So that's, you know, my favorite thing right now, soon to be over this week, because it's only like four episodes over two weeks. Yeah. But. So we picked up the Swamp Thing winter special, which. I, I put it on our pull list because I saw it in the preview catalog, which was a good thing because apparently it was much sought after, at least at our little comic shop. And he only ordered uh, the number of issues that people had asked for. So a lot of people came in asking for it when it actually came out and he didn't have any. But it was um, it was really good. It's like an 80-page winter special. It's not really an annual. and It's just like kind of a one-shot um, there's two stories in it. The first part is by Tom King and Jason Fabok. And then the second half is, uh, an unfinished story by the, one of the co-creators of Swamp Thing, Len Wein mm-hmm. and the art by Kelly Jones. I would have said Len Wine, uh, all the way up until about four o'clock this afternoon. We watched one of the extra features on the justice league. Um, movie that we we bought and grant morrison called him len ween so that's what i'm gonna go with i trust i trust (laughs) trust grant yeah (laughs) also by the way justice league we have confirmed that that was a fucking train wreck of a movie (laughs) it was yeah i mean it was just it was just straight up bad like it was even worse the second time around but but now we own it now we own it (laughs) (laughs) tegan liked it i don't i mean (laughs) maybe she'll rewatch it so I put this book on our poll basically because it was Tom King, right? And right. so he's writing Batman and, uh, you know, up and down. Uh, there are some issues of his that I really like. But he he just seems to have this knack with second or third tier characters like Vision or mm-hmm. Mr. Miracle, which we're reading right now. And I don't know. I mean, the first the first half of the book is their story about Swamp Thing. The first thing that jumped out to me about that part of the book was the artwork. I thought it was really good. I thought it was really good too. You know, Swamp Thing uh, set against this winter backdrop and all that. And it was, I don't know, a lot of splash pages, a lot of... Right. A lot of interesting visual, even though the whole sort of color scheme is set up um, in this, you know, barren wasteland of a snow desert, you know? Yeah. And the story is like... I guess it's really simple, but I I feel like it might have 
um, more meaning than I was able to ascribe to it. I don't mm-hmm. know what you think. I It's kind of bookended by this sports announcer kind of thing going on, um, which I'm not sure I, I, I mean, I just kind of found it, found it odd, I guess, and kind of out of place. I really liked the, the story yeah, it as it played out. It but was that, a, it was an interesting tie in. I, I mean, I don't know. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say completely out of place because it's, you know, definitely setting tone for the, the deeper meaning in the, in the story itself as far as blame and responsibility and self-awareness, things like that. Um, so I thought that was was a pretty interesting way to, to sort of tie in Tom King's vision for, for the message he wanted to give with, with this story. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I guess, you know, briefly, the this part of the story just jumps right in swamp things, carrying this boy through the snow. They're running away from the snow monster. Uh, swamp things disconnected from the green because of the snow. The longer they go, the less he remembers, the more he is diminished both like physically and mentally. And, and I was curious, you know, just kind of what you took away from it and like, why, why this story? Like I had the theme written down as like difficulty of accepting who you are and what you're responsible for. That's really kind of all I got from, from the book that, that neither, neither character wants to think that they're the monster. Um, I just, there wasn't a whole lot beyond just this very isolated interaction between the swamp thing and, and the little boy. Quote unquote, I guess I don't not to spoil it. <laughs> yeah. I, like I don't even know where this conflict came from. Is it just like a natural? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I I I I might disagree with you with the the fact that the this like winter monster doesn't see itself as a monster. You know, um, I guess it keeps referring to itself as one, right? Yeah, and um, you know, I I think it's also about survival. Yeah. Like. This monster, I think, understands what it's doing to the world, but is fighting as hard as he can to 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 stay, to remain present. Right. Um, yeah, just like anything. And powerful. Right. Yeah. Um, I I really did. I mean, I I liked the story. I liked the book. I I guess it just comes back to that. Thing that I like things explained to me more, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I, I briefly looked for some articles and interviews and stuff, and didn't really find much. So, uh, I'm missing that that part, I guess. Uh, I but know. I did, I I did like it. I I didn't necessarily because I don't want to say I necessarily needed more from from the text or mm-hmm. the art, like none of that. Um, I just needed somebody to explain it to me. <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, like these, these are the kinds of things that I really sort of miss um, because I love so much about, you know, studying literature. Like this right. is a very literary piece of Swamp right. Thing with sort of like a deeper exploration of the human condition, you know, with the metaphor of this, these two monsters, no. but, you know, so, I mean, I really loved it for that it it kind of made me 
like I've for a long time wanted to go back and read Alan Moore's Swamp Thing because that's something that everybody really brings up as one of the best comic book, you know, stories ever written, basically. Um, Charles Sewell's Swamp Thing is one of the books that we first were reading when we started reading comic books. And I really enjoyed that up to a certain point, I guess, before we kind of fell off and stopped following that. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the one of the more interesting things about this book was, you know, the second, well, not more interesting. Um, right. I actually like the first half better, but it seems yeah, like you might've enjoyed. No, I, I, I liked the first half better. I liked, uh, I liked the art more, although, uh, by contrast, the second half shows how easy it is to have a different view of, or take on Swamp Thing and have it still look beautiful. And, mm-hmm. um, all that, but I really liked the art in the second half because it re- reminded me sort of like um woodcut, like block, yeah, cut pieces, which just like that sort of thick, bold lines and yeah. Um, I I will say I, I liked the first half as a comic better. I just found the second half very interesting because you know it's I mean it's also sad. It's starts off with his editor's note. Uh, Len Wein passed away this past year as well as Bernie Wrightson, the two co-creators of Swamp Thing. Swamp Thing. Uh, and he was starting this new miniseries, and the artwork was done by Kelly Jones, but he hadn't had a chance to put together the script and all, uh, or the, the letter pages. I'm really not sure right, the exact. What the terminology is. There, right. But yeah. Uh, because he had the story. I mean, the the issue is done for this first issue of this new miniseries. But he the dialogue isn't, isn't incorporated. Right. Yeah. But it was just really cool to to look through the the artwork that had been done and then read through the script, you know, flip back and forth and see exactly what was going on. Right. About the um, process and 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 the artist's interpretation of yeah. what's requested. Because there's a lot of a lot of just a lot of direct artistic license too. Like there's some stuff where I think it's like the first opening scene, uh Swamp Thing is just you know hands behind his back, and I'm like picturing it like that, but right. looking, and it's it, it's not like that, right? Not exactly. But like you get that. the same feeling, and so you have the artist's you know vision of the writer's vision. Yeah. It's, it's really cool to to sort of have an inside look at that process. Yeah, and you know the the story itself also kind of had this tie in with Gotham and Batman, and some of my favorite kind of character tie-in issues of Batman have come with Swamp Thing, whether it was Scott Snyder writing or Tom King. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one issue in this current run of Batman with, where Tom King wrote Swamp Thing, and it was one of the best issues. And they're already up to 40-something, I think, with that with that run. He's going up to at least 100. But that was one of the best single issues I thought of that run. But it was just a really cool book, and I would I would recommend it. I liked it a lot. I would both, recommend both it parts as well. of it. Yeah. So do you want to move on to the Netflix sci-fi stuff that we had, both uh, Cloverfield Paradox and Altered Carbon? Sure. So I guess the first thing is the Cloverfield Paradox, which we watched maybe last weekend. Uh, yes. Yeah. So it's this uh, obviously part of the Cloverfield universe. Right, which the is weird. I don't even really movie. understand why it. Why is it called Cloverfield? Well, Do I we don't know, know if it's really. I mean, maybe, but I don't. I don't think it's really been, you know, 
specifically revealed exactly, or if it even matters, is I think is more appropriate. Yeah, I mean, I was just curious. Yeah, no, I, I mean, this one is kind of, I guess, setting up the other two movies that have already come before it. It's this, this space station is orbiting the planet on the brink of war. Scientists are testing this device to solve energy crisis and they end up face to face with a dark alternate reality, <laughs> which is funny. Yeah. Uh, and I guess this is based on a script called for, for basically a different movie called the God, God particle, which JJ Abrams just kind of then took and grafted onto his Cloverfield universe. Oh. Uh, kind of happened similarly with, 10 Cloverfield Lane, which was also called The Cellar before they made it into a Cloverfield movie. So I guess one of the most interesting things about the movie was the rollout. And they basically had a commercial during the Super Bowl and then Netflix dropped it to their platform immediately after the Super Bowl. And then everyone hated it. Well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it it was a good rollout as far as advertising and you know, I heard a lot of people say, oh, everybody wants something to do after Super Bowl. I want to go to fucking bed after the Super Bowl. <laughs> but maybe that's for more like the West Coast. They, you know, people want to do something else after the Super Bowl. But yes, it it definitely did not do well as far as um, criticism goes. Mm-hmm. Um, which I've also heard is not necessarily like, uh, a concern that Netflix has. I, they just want people Views. to be, yeah, to be viewing this stuff and to have stuff added to their library, whatever. Uh, also, I mean, yes, the actual critical reviews by professionals for this movie were, were not great, but there's also something to be said for, you know, a 17% on Rotten Tomatoes is not exactly the um, death knell for a movie. I'll tell because, you what, I'd rather watch this again than Justice League. Right, which is at 40%. And right. it's one of those things that that had me hopeful for Justice League before we went to see it because I, I was worried and it was still at like 50% on Rotten Tomatoes. I'm like, 50%, how bad could it be? It could be really fucking bad. <laughs> and also a ghost story, which we were just talking about earlier tonight and we've talked about before because it was not a great movie, but it was over 90%. I- I mean, it had some redeeming qualities. Sure. <laughs> I definitely enjoyed it more than you do, but I do see like it was definitely a difficult watch. But anyway, yeah. we've already discussed a ghost story. Yeah, definitely. But so when it comes to this movie, I mean, there was definitely, I know that when you start messing with alternate realities, you can basically do whatever you want because who knows. But there was some stuff that like just didn't make any sense. Like the ship swallowing the guy's arm and then removing the arm and then the arm is still alive in another part of the ship like moving around and writing things out and like i mean that was a little yes a little out there but by the same token there was some other stuff that you know was creepy but also at least made a little bit more sense like the lady who was stuck in the wall with all the wires going through her um Right. When they jumped to a different reality, like they, she, they just right, they basically like jumped into her, right? And, like materialized, yeah, yeah. And I don't know, I 
ultimately I thought that the movie was still pretty entertaining. I thought the cast was, was really good and whether it made sense or not, I mean, it definitely, I guess, set up the universe for, for Cloverfield. I guess the next one is called Overlord and it's set in World War II because now you can jump back and forth in time and do whatever you want yeah. based on the God particle machine. Well, that's interesting. Messing up reality. I think it's interesting how much you know about this Cloverfield world. Oh, yeah. I'm super. I'm like a, I'm like a Cloverfield scholar. <laughs> one might say You're funny. as you have <laughs> <laughs> anyway uh altered carbon is also pretty good <laughs> yeah i actually so, like this yeah what is it 10 episodes we've only watched two so we can probably come back to it at a later date maybe when we've we've watched a little more but it's uh, a good conceit i thought you know it's based on a 2002 novel by richard k morgan where basically in the future your consciousness is digitized and stored in a cortical stack implant in the spine. Yeah. It, so you when can do survive they do death. That? And, do they do that when you're like a baby? Like at um, birth? I don't know. Well, tough to say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can be re-sleeved, they say. Yeah. And I don't know. It, it's, it's interesting that because both of these um, – like the movie Cloverfield and this Altered Carbon show, they both look really good. So they're not cheap. And it's interesting that Netflix has chosen to make this foray into sci-fi, I think, because it's not necessarily a genre that attracts a lot of people, I guess. Right? Yes and no. I mean, like, I really love good sci-fi, which I guess just makes me assume (laughs) that other people like really good sci-fi. And then there's a whole you know, like loads of people who love Battlestar Galactica, which by the way, I watched the first episode and I don't get it. Right. Yeah. I think we talked about that a little bit and I haven't watched it, so I can neither confirm nor deny if I get it or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've heard that it's very good. Yeah. <laughs> but there's a lot of stuff about the show that in the first two episodes at least was, was really good. Uh, there's Joel Kinnaman is basically the star of the show. He's yeah. What are they called from the, like, he's like the last of his kind though. Uh, the envoy. Yes. Yeah. Like a super soldier. Is it? I don't know. Kind of. It's, I mean, he's like supposed to be able to, um, like acclimate to any sort of culture that he's introduced to within minutes and learn languages. And he's also very physically impressive as far as like training and and stuff and and with the ability to like bring that with him from stack like from uh sleeve to sleeve no his name his name is takashi kovach which because he's mostly been an asian guy up to this point i guess is i guess he started out that way too yeah i mean one of the interesting things about the show is it's it's got the the present of what's going on, but it also does a lot of flashback and a lot of backstory for for this guy. Uh, the the hotel AI is is pretty funny. Yeah, um, it's an interesting part of the show. There's it is this, an interesting part of the show, and I'm looking forward to see like yeah, a separate story. Well, not that. separate, but like there's the detective storyline that's uh going on where she's investigating um 
whatever she's investigating. Plus she has this, you know, conflict of, uh, how society is set up, you know, how opposed she is to the way society is set up, which is basically like the, everybody, the 1% is up in the sky basically. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And everybody else is, is left to, uh, fend for themselves. But, you know, ultimately it's the, uh, the main character, uh, Kovach is supposed to be finding out what happened during the uh, murder of one of those uh, richer guys. James Purfoy plays uh, one of these, what do they call him? I can't remember. Isn't that awful? It's a weird name though. Yeah. Whatever it is, it's aristocrat basically. Lawrence Bancroft is his name, which is pretty, I mean, that's the name of an aristocrat. Right. <laughs> but, uh, and James Porfrey, he, he sure puts himself out there, like all of himself, just in the first <laughs> couple episodes, a little much. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It was, there's still a lot of show left. I've heard good things from some people and, you know, some people who weren't as impressed, but I think we should definitely finish it. I think so too. I I really do. And I like that sub story with the, with like the AI stuff too, because AI stuff super interesting to me and and basically there's this whole other thing going on you know with them which i'm sure is going to come full circle so that'll be a cool thing to 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 watch pan out and so that brings us to black panther which uh we've been excited about for quite a while we finally got to see it yes uh a lot of people have been excited about it for a while this is one of those movies that has kind of turned into this cultural event like breaking lots of records at the box office Mm -hmm. Uh, not like all-time records but like all-time pre-sale records yeah Um, it was actually difficult for us to find a ticket and usually we and we ordered a month early right and i think you know one of the biggest things we had heard so much going into it just in the week leading up for people who had already seen it uh how good the movie was Mm -hmm. and i think one of the best things you can say about it is that expectations were met. Yes, definitely. It's hard. It's hard to go. It's hard to go in with that much hype and come out being like, you know what? That was really deserved and it was really well done. And it was obviously directed by Ryan Coogler from Fruitvale station and Creed. Right. Uh, One of which we've seen very good Creed. And Mm -hmm. I, I would like to see, Fruitvale Station. Me too. Because, you know, from when it was released, I've heard good things about it. I just never never got around to it. But as far as Black Panther goes, clearly the right person to hand over this franchise to. Right. I uh, agree. The right person to handle it, not only from the deeper social implications and cultural implications of Black Panther and how that needs to be portrayed, but his script, which I don't know what his script writing partner's name is. I've read it before, but I don't know what it is. Uh, they really did a, a great job, basically nailed it, uh, all the way through. I'm sure a lot of people will have different opinions on where this movie lands in the, the MCU pantheon, uh, whether it's some people's favorite, it's definitely Tegan's favorite. She, she <laughs> what did she tell you? Screw Thor. Black Panther is my new favorite movie and character right (laughs) 
big words right. from our 10 year old. So whether you think it's, whether it's your favorite movie or whether you think it's the best MCU movie, which a lot of people I think do think that or whatever, I think it's hard to deny that it's at least the most important. Correct. Marvel Cinematic Universe movie. Today. Yeah. So, I mean, representation is a given at this point, right? Um, not to diminish that, but almost the whole cast is is black, African-American, African, I don't, you know, whoever. Right. I'm not sure origins for everybody in the cast, but they're definitely all black. <laughs> Except for, like, Andy Serkis, who plays Ulysses Claw, or Martin Freeman, who's doing his best American accent as a CIA agent. Right. Uh, Everett Ross. But the movie really doubles down on the importance of that representation with like the layers of issues in the script and the way it addresses that. And like, the, I think the thing that kind of threw me about the movie, you know, I've spent a couple of days thinking about it. And when we were walking out, Tegan was asking what our favorite movie is. Cause she obviously wants us to say black Panther. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I don't really know, you know, if, if it's, you like my favorite movie and I'm still not hundred percent sure. You know, we talked a little bit about how to, to rank those movies. It's tough. Right. It is tough. And I still think I enjoy Thor Ragnarok more. Yeah. Um, but there's a part of me that wanted this to be like the number one, just because of what it is and how important it is. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's still really, really good. You know, but I think the thing that puts Thor over the top for me is like that that other layer of comedy in the beats yeah. for me, um, which made it all around better for me. But I thought like with this movie, it's probably second. I know that you really enjoy Civil War. I mean, um, Winter Soldier. Yeah. But. Well, that was what, you know, one of the things about the movie is it's, I mean, it's called Black Panther, but it's not really like from what I have kind of come to think or how I've come to view it. It's not really a movie about black Panther, right? It's about culture and about Wakanda and about what a responsible society looks like. And, you know, we, me and Courtney just finished the second season of the good place. And there's a lot of uh, parallels as far as like, what do we owe each other or, you know, not even uh, either person to person or, um, race to race, you know, uh, or within your own race, what do you owe other people and how are you prepared to, to go about living your life or spreading your wealth or, you know, who decides who gets what, all that stuff. I mean, it's very, it's, it's the first Marvel movie that really kind of dives deeply into, into certain issues in society. Right. Like, uh, I just watched winter soldier again this afternoon which also addresses issues of, of privacy and security and all that stuff. But that's kind of a different, um, I don't want to say, you know, more superficial level, but it, I think it is a more superficial level of um, addressing an issue than, than what happens in Black Panther. When you go to see a Captain America movie, it's about Captain America. It's about, like, right. uh, you know, it's just different. But this movie was amazing. Uh, I definitely want to see it again to try to get a, a better feel for everything that's going on in it. Right. There's a lot to process. Um, and I, I, I definitely agree with you with the, with the way that it's, it's not 
the same kind of superhero movie that we're used to seeing from Marvel, where it is about that titular character. Um, and this definitely focuses more on social responsibility um, than anything else. I think that that's like the, the overarching theme, not necessarily just T'Challa's struggles um, with being king and, and how to be a leader. Um, you know, and I, I think if it was more about or about those issues, you know, with focusing on T'Challa's leadership, then it would definitely have been more of like a Black Panther right. movie, but it definitely like spread across this culture and and how this this country and, and their actions have have um, affected other actions and and how it comes back to them. You know, yeah. I thought I thought it was really cool and visually it was fun. Yeah, Not, I mean one of the yeah. one of the first things you really I think notice about the movie is the visual representation of this hidden African society, Wakanda, that is the most technologically advanced in the world. Uh, they, they really do a good job of, I don't know, creating this world that just feels lived in as they say, um, mm-hmm. with the traditions and the city itself traditional, but with technology interwoven, uh, that marketplace actually reminded me of when they were walking through whatever the name of the planet on Ragnarok is, you know, it's just, Oh yeah. Yeah. But anyway, I, I mean, the movie starts with this, this little setup explanation of vibranium and where it came from and why they're the most technologically advanced society. It was, it was well done. It was kind of one of those, let's explain this in an animated form, uh, you mm-hmm. know, as we lead into this, uh, story and then they, go into the origins of the villain and basically everyone in, in the cast was, uh, I don't know. Perfect. What do you, yeah. <laughs> like, what do you want? <laughs> Especially when it comes to Michael B. Jordan, who's worked with Ryan Coogler and, in, in, I think this is only his third movie that he's directed. He's worked well, with he him was in all on, those movies. Yeah. He's been in, in all and, of them. And they're already Bell working Station on their next uh, movie, which is about some public school cheating scandal in Atlanta, I guess. Hmm. Uh, and obviously Marvel wants Ryan Coogler back for, uh, Black Panther too, but there's been a lot of, a lot of talk, I think about the movie and the characters in it centers around Killmonger. Mm-hmm. The movie goes to great lengths to, uh, well, to show you that he is the bad guy, but then to also get you to sympathize with him, I guess. Um, and it was just really well, really well done. And Michael B. Jordan is, I don't know, a national treasure. Like, what do you want me to say? (laughs) (laughs) After Creed, he, you know, could basically do anything. And I'd be like, yeah, that was still awesome. (laughs) But I don't know. So, uh, I mean, what I, I also like with this movie, with all of these deeper social issues and, and greater themes, it was still like a fun watch. Yeah. Because you know, obviously fun enough for Tegan to think it was amazing without really fully grasping those larger, um, you know, connections and the visually really stunning, um, with the, you know, landscape, but also just how they 
used like the technology in a really cool way. It definitely weaves the technology into this kind of more traditional farming society. Right. Yeah. And the whole five tribes of Wakanda thing really sets up this, um, you know, in a lot of these movies, it like in Captain America Civil War, when they stick them in an empty airport to, to kind of fight out the, the little battle there. Um, they don't have to do that in this, in this setting. It's these five tribes who are going to war or fighting each other or whatever's happening. Like it's, it looks like that's what it would look like Mm -hmm. as opposed to, you know, and I'm sure a lot of the stuff is green screen, but it just doesn't look like green screen, I guess. But it really was shot beautifully, I guess, Mm -hmm. especially um, some of the ancestral plane scenes. Those were some of the more powerful scenes I thought in the movie, Mm -hmm. especially the one with Michael B. Jordan's character and, his interaction with his dad, who's played by Sterling K. Brown. Um, A lot of the action was very good. I'll say that. Um, But some of it was also just very kind of CG, like the, the, some of the more intense battle scenes where he's in the black Panther suit, you know, nobody's really, I think, mastered the way a human body moves with cg i know you know the things they wanted to accomplish with those action scenes you can't like physically do those things right but a lot of it kind of seemed like oh well that looks like neo from the matrix Mm -hmm. kind of being weird and not real but that said some of the other action stuff like the uh the challenges for the throne in in that in the pool um were really well done uh, the second one where he fights Killmonger for the throne, uh, you know, I can't remember the last time that my heart's really been beating that fast in a movie theater. Like, mm-hmm. even though you know what's going to happen, like, it's not like he's just going to beat Killmonger and the movie's going to be over in an hour and 15 minutes, right? Right. Uh, but the suit was cool. They did, I, I don't know how true this is to other comic books. I just know that in the Tanahasi Coates storyline that we've read, the the suit kind of takes in this kinetic energy and can expel it when he wants to. Mm-hmm. They do that in the movie. And um, I mean, besides that, I don't know, the music was really good. The soundtrack was really good. Uh, Ludwig Gorenson, the, the actual score was uh, really well done. The Kendrick Lamar soundtrack was um, really good. You know, We'd listen to it on Amazon a little bit, uh, and some of the songs I was just like, I can't, I can't listen to this <laughs> um, over and over yeah. again. But when it's used in the movie, you're like, well, it, that, it, it that really works. I noticed that too. Yeah. <laughs> um, the only, the only thing about the soundtrack that I was like, um, what the fuck, was like, where was Run the Jewels, right? <laughs> yeah, because they've been in a lot of um, like a, they were in the trailer, and I thought they were going to have like a a big part of of the sound of the movie, but it was just nowhere. Right. And so, Marvel's used them a lot, right? Uh, well, at least for this movie, I don't know about others, but I, I definitely thought they were going to be in, uh, be in this one, but hmm. I don't know. Do you have anything else for black Panther? More nope. stuff? Nope. No, it was, uh, it was fun. It was smart. We liked it. 